This is Murder in the Black with Steph and M.D. Welcome back to Murder in the Black. I'm your host, Steph. And I'm MD. So we are back for another episode and another Black History Fact. Let's go. We're bringing it up the rear, y'all. Yep, we only got one more week. I mean, MD, I guess it's true what you said. I mean, January was, it took forever and here we are. February's almost over. January was a whole year and February (laughs) is a blink of an eye. A blink. So let me tell you guys about Dr. Valerie Thomas. Now, MD, have you ever watched a 3D movie? I have. I bet you did not know that a beautiful black woman invented a 3D illusion transmitter. I absolutely did not know that. Yeah. So she was born in Baltimore, Maryland. She attended Morgan State University, and she was one of two women majoring in physics. She excelled in mathematics and science courses at Morgan State University, which is, by the way, HBCU. She graduated with a degree in physics with a high honors in 1964. Mm. So she went ahead and started working for NASA, initially working as a data analyst in 1964, working her way up the ladder. And that's where she initially attended a science exhibitionist and found out about illusions and light bulbs and got, you know, interested in illusion transmitters. And that's when she discovered the illusion transmitter. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about what that is, because I bet that means nothing to you because it meant nothing to me either. Did it, does it mean anything to you? Not, I mean, absolutely zero things. Yeah, not to me either. So I'm going to give y'all a little science lesson. Are y'all ready? Let's go. So an illusion transmitter uses two parabolic mirrors to transmit 3D illusions of an object by use of a camera trained on the first mirror, which then sends video signals to a projector aimed at a second mirror. It was invented, of course, by Valerie Thomas, for which she received a patent in 1980. She developed it for the purpose of sending three-dimensional images across a distance, making them look as if they are in front of a mirror, hence the 3D image that you see on your movie screens. As of 2022, the technology is still used by NASA, so she is still making bread, honey. You better get it, girl. Yes, okay? She is still making bread, and she is now a doctor. She has since retired from NASA. And she is still living, by the way. So if you want to go look up all of her accomplishments, you can look her up. And by the way, that's not just used in movies. It's used in surgeries. It's used in video games. Oh, so she is definitely monetized. You know what I'm saying? Let's go. Let's go, Dr. Valerie Thomas. So that is your Black History Fact in STEM for this week. I love it. I love it. All right. MD, take us away. Well, grab your coffee if it's the morning and your wine if it's the evening, but either way, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Well, Steph, our case today is about the story of Latrice Curtis. And so I'm going to call this case DNA Doesn't Lie. Dana. Dana doesn't lie, MD. Yeah, DNA. Dana. <laughs> Dana don't lie. Dana. DNA. DNA does not lie. At 2.07 a.m. in Durham, North Carolina, Kimberly's phone rang. And she was startled when she looked at the screen because she noticed it was from her friend Latrice Curtis. Latrice was not a late night caller. She didn't call her friends at night. But she, so she knew that she needed to make sure she answered this call because it was very unusual that she was calling. 
But once she picked up the phone, all she heard was a tons, tons of movement and cars driving by as if she was on the highway. She called Latrice's name several times, but to no avail. So she did what most of us would do, thinking, you know, that you were butt dialed. You just sit on the phone for a few minutes and listen to see if you can hear anything interesting. So she did. She listened for she listened for about three to four minutes before she finally determined that this was indeed a butt dial and she need, she hung up. But this was not a typical butt dial. In fact, this was not a butt dial at all because this would be the last time Latrice's phone would call anyone. Later that morning, a motorist while driving on Interstate 540 noticed something unusual on the shoulder of the highway. And like the nosy motorist that all true crime fans can be, he pulled over to see if his eyes were deceiving him because he thought it was a body, but he wasn't sure. He thought, you know, because, you know, sometimes you think it's a body and it ends up being like a dummy. But so he was like, let me pull over just to make sure. So he pulled over and as he approached, he confirmed that it was a body. So he, he immediately called 911 and notified them of the body on the side of the road. Law enforcement arrived and so did reporters. And the story took off fast because this body had multiple stab wounds and the blood was draining from gaping holes that were all over her body. The police immediately knew that they were dealing with a targeted murder and were rapidly trying to collect all the evidence they needed to track down their suspect. Less than a mile down the road where the body was found was a four-door white sedan. Now this car had blood all over it. So much blood that it was very literally, Steph, very literally dripping out of the driver's side door. Oh my gosh. Right. It was apparent that the murder took place in the car and then someone drugged the body a little less than a mile away to dump the body. Now, around the same time that the police were investigating the crime scene, a 911 call comes in from a man named Darren Curtis, who notifies the dispatcher that his wife, Latrice Curtis, did not come home last night. He tells the dispatcher that he had spoke with his wife the previous night as she was leaving her college headed home. He said that she told him she was on the way home, but was going to stop and get something to eat. And so he fell asleep while waiting for her to get there, but she never arrived. Now, after receiving the 911 call and tracking the registration of the vehicle that they found less than a mile away from the body, they had Darren come to the station to identify the body because they, they felt like maybe it was connected. And the police were able to and he was able to identify that this was, in fact, his wife, Latrice Curtis. And the police then announced that they found a body on I-40. So who is Latrice? Latrice Curtis was known to be loved by everyone. Her father, Sherman Jones, described her as a little boy in a dress when she was growing up. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> A little boy in a dress. And the reason I thought that was interesting, Steph, is because I feel like usually, instead of it being described as a little boy in a dress, it's just described as a tomboy, right? Right. You're just like, you know, you're a girl, you dress like a girl, but you just, you just, you you one of the boys. Like, you you do the things that little, you typically think little boys do, like play in the dirt. Right, right. You know, you, you know whereas like you think, and I'm putting air quotes because... Little girls can do this too. I have girls and boys, so I know that there is really no... There are some very stereotypical things that boys do that girls don't, but... So I thought it was interesting when he described her as... It was a, it's an interesting, you know, way of putting it. Absolutely. But I think what he was saying is that she did everything with him that you would think a little boy would do. So if they, you know, go out and toss the football or the baseball, she did it. You know, if he was working on vehicles, she she helped. So was if he was fishing? She went fishing with them. So was that his only child? Yes. Okay. It was his so only that child. really that really helps to like make the picture cohesive. Like, so that was his buddy. Absolutely, it was his buddy. She was his shadow, as he described it, and he loved every bit of 
his daughter. Um, but he stated that once Latrice made it to high school, that tomboy phase, and I'm calling it tomboy, but he didn't. That tomboy phase wore off and she was super girly. Yeah, she and was like my daddy. Right. She was like, I'm all about my nails, in the boys, her hair, and having fun. So her friends described Latrice as very humble, always willing to encourage and support them. And she was always smiling and truly a loving person. Now, Latrice graduated high school and she attended North Carolina Central University, where she was majoring in accounting. Now, in her junior year, she showed up to work and announced to her friends, hey, y'all, I'm married. Oh. Yeah. I mean, what? how would you feel if your friends just came and announced that they was married and you didn't know? You wasn't invited to the wedding. You know, I'm going through a very real life experience like that today. I, I do know. So, so they still haven't told me. So I just think that and not to get into your real life experience. Right. But I think it's very interesting. <laughs> right. I just think that it's it's either one of two things in my mind. It's either indicative of I'm I me and my fiance just really like in Latrice's situation. Maybe it was a spur of the moment. In the middle of the weekend, you super mm-hmm. into each other. You're like, oh my gosh, I love you. I'm just so in love with you. I'm just going to get married to you right here, right now. Let's do it. Let's do it. We don't okay. need anybody else. And you know, like there are, there, I can't imagine it because I was that girl that like dreamed about my wedding from the time that I was little. But there are women that are like, I don't need no big wedding. I just want to get married to you and go to the courthouse. We can go get this thing done right now. Like I just want to be married to you. Mm-hmm. And so I don't need all the bells and whistles. And maybe Latrice was one of those people. And so she wasn't necessarily envisioning that I needed my friends to be there. Because, and I think that that was more of Latrice's mindset. I don't know. Because obviously I haven't talked to Latrice. Right. But. I say that because she came back that weekend and immediately announced it. It wasn't like she was I, trying. Yeah, to no, she ball. wasn't trying to keep it from her friends, which is obviously, you know, it was something that she wanted to highlight. She wanted to let them know. So right, it was important exactly. enough for her to include them. So it might have been a surprise, but something that she wanted to let her friends know. So, you know, an interesting thing because she was pretty young. I mean, she was yeah, still she, in college, yeah, right? she was a like, junior the highlight in college. Of your life. I mean, not to everybody, but to some people, right? And I and I always say not to everybody because when you when I talk about my college experience, I tell people I'm like that was the be- those were some of the best years of my life. Mm-hmm. Like hands down, I loved my college experience, but not everybody feels that way. But I I can't imagine being married my junior year in college. Like sure. I, I very literally cannot imagine it, but here Latrice was getting married her junior year and no one even knew she was engaged. So this was super like random. They knew she was dating this guy, but they didn't know she was engaged. And maybe it guy. was suddenly too. Like maybe they were just like, "Hey babe, you want to get married?" Let's right. Do it. It, absolutely. It could be. <laughs> but her friends quickly forgave her. They were like a little in their feelings a little bit, which I totally relate to. Her friends quickly forgave her though for not looping them in because they actually really liked Darren. Yeah. And they really liked Darren for her. They felt like he was a good match to her personality. He was sweet and shy, but he was super into Latrice. And when I think about that stuff, I think about mommy and how one of the things she would always tell me is like, marry a guy that is more, more into you than you are into them. And right. so when I heard this, I was like, oh, yeah. Like, he was he was probably one of those guys that was super into her. And, you know, you can that's intoxicating in a way. When somebody is super into you, you like them, but they're super into you. That can be a little bit intoxicating. Sure. Um, but he was also in the National Guard. You know, so they, you know, he was he was very disciplined, very regimented, but he was super into her. Now, her father, on the other hand, he did not quickly forgive. He was very upset because he felt like he wanted to be a, a part of that big decision that Latrice made. Like he talked about how this is that was such a big decision. And it is marrying somebody is one of the most important decisions that you will make in life. And he felt like not being included on that decision was something that he was very heartbroken by. Plus, he always imagined that Latrice's future husband would ask him or involve him in some kind of way. 
Now let's fast forward back to Darren. Let's get let's get back to the nuts and nuts and bolts of this. While Darren was at the station, he provides his DNA, his fingerprints, and he allows the police to take his photograph. The police questioned Darren and they learned that he was home all night. Spoke to Latrice on her way home from college and fell asleep waiting for her to make it home. He said he woke up at about 6 to 7 a.m. And when he realized she wasn't there, he called her. And when she didn't answer, he called 911. Okay, so that's Darren's alibi. Not really an alibi, right? He doesn't have anybody to confirm it, but that's where he's saying he was. Now, although the police typically and we can almost say almost always, suspect the husband. In this case, interesting, interestingly enough, the police didn't really suspect Darren. They felt like he was very forthcoming. He acted appropriately in light of what he just found out about his wife, and he was extremely compliant with the police. Yeah, so although the police didn't suspect Darren, of course, Latrice's father kind of felt like he was suspicious you know and I think this probably had more so to do with like the fact that he wasn't you know really over the fact that Latrice and Darren didn't include him in the wedding and there probably was some residual feelings that were there that were left over you know because no matter how much (laughs) you want to get over something sometimes there's some residual feelings Absolutely. That are kind of left there. And so Darren didn't call him either, right? Like when Latrice was missing, he didn't initially call Latrice's father or Latrice's mother and let let them know, right, that Latrice was missing. And I think a lot of times in those situations, I think you have to give people grace because they their mind is in overdrive and you have to charge it to their head and not their heart. But I think, you know, you're, you're just, you, I think everybody is just thinking and trying to go in go mode and just really trying to figure out what is really happening. And so what do you think happens in those situations, MD, where, you know, in that situation, Darren is trying to figure out where the heck is my wife, Latrice's father and her mother are probably thinking the same thing as well. So what do you think in those situations happens? And what do you think is the best course of actions for family members who may be disgruntled? I think you, you got to give grace because like you said, you're just, your adrenaline has kicked into overdrive at that point and you're just going. I mean, can, let's just imagine Darren for a second and let's imagine Darren under the scope that the police are imagining him. They're saying they don't think he's a suspect. So like if he really truly, you know, was waiting up for his wife, okay? And remember, this is the guy that was super into Latrice, like was head over heels for this girl. So he's waiting up for his wife to get home and he falls asleep waiting for her to get home. And just imagine waking up, and I know I have done this, where I wake up and I look over and my husband's not there or somebody, whoever you're expecting to be there is not home. You're like, you immediately have a mini panic at that moment. Then you call your wife, and she doesn't answer. And just know, he didn't call once. He called multiple times. You know he did. He called several times looking for Latrice. She doesn't answer the phone. And now it's 6 in the morning. He's like, oh, sh- my wife is not home. She's not answering the phone. This is unusual. Mm-hmm. What is happening? His first mindset. Now, for some of you, you're like, my first mindset is to call all her friends, all her family members. Like, I'm about to call around and ask everybody that may know. And I think that's typical and there's nothing wrong with that response. But I think that it also may be typical, especially for somebody like him who is a national guard. Now keep in mind, he has a law enforcement type background, right? Mm -hmm. To think, let me immediately call 911 and let them know that my wife is missing. Mm -hmm. Have you heard anything? Cause in his mind, he's probably not thinking murder, but he may be thinking accident hospital. Has anybody called and said, you know, that, that fits this description. So right. I just think that you, so to go backtrack, backtrace and answer your question. I think that it is common to maybe not do things in the right way 
that you would do it, like in the way that you think it should be done or in the way that you think you would do it if you were in the situation. And you just got to give that person grace. Say, man, like, and, and if you really just feel real bad about it and you can't get over the offense, just say, I, why didn't you call me? I would have wanted you to have called me. Right. But, and who knows, like going to your point, Steph, like maybe her father was still harboring a lot of these, you know, ill feelings for Latrice and Darren And that kind of came out, right? Like me and my dad are into it and he's also into it with my husband, which has never happened. But let's just say for the sake of this example that that happens, it's easier for me and my dad to get over the offense than maybe it would be for my dad and and my husband to get over the fence because I'm his daughter. You see what I'm saying? Right. Absolutely. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. So when Darren finally did come down to the police station and ID the body, he, you know, obviously finally did tell Latrice's parents and they finally did make it to Durham. And Darren never came to the police station and met up with them, I guess, at the same time. So he didn't see them at the same time, which further kind of fueled this you knew something or you know something and it just led to more suspicion on Latrice's dad's end that you know he knew more than what he was alleging or more than what Latrice's father thought he knew so really on the police's end they really didn't have anything to keep him there at the station they kind of felt like there was nothing more that they could do But they received a phone call later that day from a trooper. And this kind of really changed the whole trajectory of the case. And the officer told them that while he was out on his duty, you know, that night, he discovered a vehicle on the side of the road around 1.15 that morning, the same morning that Latrice was killed. And he said it was actually two vehicles that was pulled over because he thought it seemed odd because one of the vehicles had its hazards on. So as he gets out to further investigate the vehicle, he received a call telling him that he was wanted in another place. But he says before he left, he wrote down both the vehicle's license plates for the vehicle, which I'm going to stop here because I really think I could make a good cop because I'm just naturally nosy like that like I just I would see something like that I'm like what is that let me just write this down for I have to go real quick like they and I think you have to be naturally a, a natural sleuth you know what I mean just be like what is that about and so I just think this is the if you're a natural sleuth if you're young now I think you you might want to go into this profession now. This might or be something, something, or something like close to this. Yeah, you know you're constantly I mean? thinking that seems suspicious. That's a little suspicious. That's a little sus. Okay. Now, one of the vehicles turns out to be none other than Latrice's four door white sedan that MD was telling you guys about, and the other was a minivan, and this minivan was registered to. Robert Reeves. So the police track down Robert Reeves and they're trying to figure out how is this person connected to Latrice. Robert Reeves was a bishop and he was known. He was known to be very articulate. He was charismatic and he was known in the community. He was focused and, you know, he was just a well-to-do guy in the community. He was also in his 50s. Now, I know what you're thinking. Latrice is in college. She's young. What the math ain't math. And why is she with this bishop? Now, they had a lot of questions. And they found out that the bishop was in connection with a guy named Stephen Randolph. He was Stephen Randolph's roommate. Now, Stephen Randolph 
lived with the bishop and Stephen Randolph went to college with Latrice. Now, Steve was using the bishop's minivan because his car was not working. And the police get the bishop's DNA fingerprints and photo and ask him to bring Steve in for questioning, obviously, right? Because there's a connection there. And Steve comes in and they learn that he and Latrice both, you know, this is when they learned that they both attended North Carolina Central University and they were having an affair. Not an affair. Okay, so we're going to stop and we're going to talk about this affair. Now, MD, what do you think about this affair? Because this affair was longstanding. It was not something that they had just got into in recent months. This was an affair that they had been having for almost, I want to say, close to a year. And it was something that was getting somewhat serious, at least on Latrice's end. Not something that she was thinking about, like, breaking her marriage up about. But she really liked him. I mean, she liked Steve. So, what do you think that meant? Like, especially, you know, knowing that she got married to, you know, her husband pretty early, right? Like, I, you know, I think that this is reasons why it's important not to get married early just because... Oh, I love him so much. You know, you know, because it it sounds like to me and I don't know this for to be fact. But when I just see the facts of it and I look at, you know, okay, she married Darren, you know, super early into their relationship. It was her junior year. She's having this affair with this guy. Now, you know, Darren was a National Guard. So he's he's out here, got a real career out here like really doing life right and she's still college life is not life it's not real adult life for most people who go to college it's not real adult life it's that one thing I loved about college is that you get to experience the freedom of being an adult without having all of the adult responsibilities and bills and all of that you may have some bills here and there like your cell phone maybe even rent but you don't really have like real life for real bills Right. Because you're going your job is to go to college like that's your job. Your full time job is to attend your classes. And so their life was not the same. Right. Somebody who's got to go to work full time and somebody who's going to class full time. Those two people's lives are different. And so the similarities between Stephen and Latrice were there. Right. And so it just seems to me like I wouldn't be surprised if Darren was like one of her first real boyfriends. Right. You know, like, she probably had some boyfriends here and there, but, like, this is your first real adult boyfriend. And and you fall in love with him. He's super head over heels for you. And it's, 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 like I said, it's intoxicating Mm -hmm. when somebody's super head over heels for you. And so they're like, I want to marry you. I'm just so in love with you. I just, and you're like, oh, my God. And I love you too. And I do. And she probably. And she probably really did. Did. Right. Yeah. And so I just think that it's because what I find interesting, Steph, is that her friends on the documentary that I watched, because I know we watched two different ones, mm-hmm. but on the documentary that I watched, her friends acknowledged, like, we didn't even know she was, she was having an affair. So this was also something that she wasn't like. She kept really she close kept to really the close to the hip. Yeah. I just think it's interesting. Um, just like the, I have very little to say about it other than I just think it's the dynamics of it is interesting um, of her being really young and getting married and um, and her keeping it very secretive. You know what I mean? She didn't want anybody to really know about it. And she wasn't trying to necessarily get a divorce either. You know, so right, she, like, like I said, she probably really loved Darren. Yeah. She wasn't trying to leave Darren, especially yeah. not for no Steven who didn't have no job. He was a roommate. Right. My husband got a whole house. Right. So it was like for her, it really was kind of like this is just like a blip in time type of thing. Right. So it was just it's just it's, it's an interesting dynamic. And that's really the most attention that I want to or the most I want to say about it. Just an interesting dynamic. 
Um, so a little bit of background about Steven and who he was. Steven was a basketball player at the college, but Steven, as MD just, <laughs> just admitted, was homeless. I mean, he, um, had a random encounter with the bishop. As we said, the bishop was like a avid community helper. He was known within the community. And the bishop offered him to stay in the basement of his home. And Stephen explained while he was being interviewed by law enforcement that he was having an affair with Latrice. And he knew that, well, actually, he knew that she was married, but she didn't talk about it much. So what's interesting is, is since MD and I watched two different documentaries is as we all know in true crime we get two different things sometimes so in the true crime documentary i watched he didn't know that she was married and he only found out when darren reached out to him trying to find latrice and obviously in the one md watched, he did know but she just didn't talk about it much either way it wasn't a whole lot of talk about their marriage period i think either way what you can take from that whether he knew i mean he obviously knew but when he found out obviously is up for debate right but i think what you can take from that is it was a hookup type situation right it It was was not to be a relationship neither one of them neither one of them saw that as something serious right now latrice and and Steven obviously hooked up the night that she was killed. He said they used a condom, but somehow the condom got stuck. We all know what that means. They both were trying to get the condom out, but they could not. So after multiple attempts, they decided to part ways. She heads home, and he headed over to his girlfriend's house. That just lets you know right there. It was a hookup. <laughs> That's all this was. This was just they were just they just wanted to hook up the hookup culture. You know what I'm saying? He was like, "I'm going over to my like, All right, you house. can't get this out. Well, good I'm gonna luck. Go. Yeah. Good luck, Charlie. Yeah, I'm about to go. I'm about to go to my, to my girlfriend's, girlfriend's house. house. What? Get out of here! <laughs> and he stayed there the remainder of the night. Now the police took his DNA, his fingerprints, and his photos, and they let him go. But before he leave, before he leaves, he tells the police about how he was receiving multiple harassing phone calls from a blocked number and how all four of his tires were slashed just a month before the murder. He also says that the same thing was happening to his girlfriend and the police, you know, they take notes and they make sure that they are, you know, are trying to figure out, is this connected to the murder of Latrice? They make sure they are aware of this and they make sure to verify his alibi. Now, Latrice's murder took place on Wednesday and by Saturday morning, they called Latrice's father and told him they made an arrest. The, the arrest, or they arrest, I'm sorry, none other than MD. The bishop. Not the bishop. Robert Reeves. I promise y'all, I'm not trying to highlight ch- the church people. I promise. I mean, but, you know. But sometimes it'd be the church people. Now, sometimes. Robert Reeves was arrested, and he was charged with first-degree murder. Everybody in the community was completely dumbfounded and could not believe that it was the bishop. But the police knew that it was him because DNA doesn't lie. Dana. She just she just tells the she truth. Knows. She's over here telling the truth. She's over here like putting all the lies to bed. Right. Cause women lie, men lie, but numbers don't. Yeah. They just can't. Dana don't. So the bishop's DNA was all over Latrice's car, the steering wheel, the seats, the floor. It was absolutely everywhere. As a result, they were confident that they had their killer. But the bishop denied everything. He goes on trial, and at trial, everyone learns the motive when Stephen takes the stand. MD, what happened? So Stephen tells everything. He's like, this is my time to let the truth be known. And he described 
a bishop that many people didn't know. See, they knew this community activist. They knew this person that was out helping people and just popular, well-known in the community. But what they didn't know is that the bishop was attracted to men and he was desperately attracted to Stephen. Now, Steph also said that he was attracted to minors and we will we will get to that as well. But what we know is that he is attracted to men. Stephen says at the uh, at first he didn't know that the uh, that the bishop wanted some kind of relationship with him when he first moved in, but shortly after he moved in, he learned the bishop's motives for inviting him to stay in his basement. He said that the bishop approached him shortly after he moved in and suggested that he be a part of some escort service and that it would help him to pay bills and like make money because he knew that Stephen was desperate for, for money and needed to make money in any way that he could. So he's suggesting, hey, now, first of all, a bishop suggesting to his roommate Hey, you need to make some money, not come down to my church and let's see if we can get you a job. Or I'm really well known in the community. Let me see if I can go to some of some of my connections and get you hired. No, why don't you take part of an escort service? Because I can I can get you on. I can I can absolutely get starting you on. with me. Absolutely. And so as a matter of fact, let me let's 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 talk about this. And so Stephen thinking, you know what? I really could use some money. Maybe I should consider this. So he he considers it for a moment. And he's like, okay. So he briefly entertains this conversation. And at that point, the bishop says, well, let me see what you're working with. Let me see what you're working with. Now, this is where it gets really strange. Because I'm with Stephen all the way up until this very point. Well, I'm not. Because, like, <laughs> I can, I'm saying, because Steph, like, what I'm saying is, is that. I would never entertain an escort service, right? I wouldn't. But I can see somebody in their early 20s, desperate for money. And now, you know, I'm also thinking like escort service. I'm sure that Steven's not thinking escort service with another, with men. I'm thinking he's thinking probably escort services with women. Like, okay, like I, we already know Steven ain't opposed to slanging his thing all over town, right? We already know that. So I can see Steven entertaining it. Steven. So I can see him. But like, here's the, here's why I lose I, me and Steven. I lose him. Cause then Steven. Y'all was together and then y'all lost. And then we other. lost each other because the bishop's like, let me see what you're working with. And then Steven apprehensively pulls his pants down. Steven, what is happening here, sir? What What is happening here? So then the bishop moves, moves forward and starts fondling Steven's penis. Wow. And so Stephen pulls back and he's like, what the, you know, like he's, you know, what are, what are you doing? What are you sure? doing? And he's like, man, I'm good. I'm good on this. But Stephen being, I know I'm homeless. Right. I don't have like, a place I, to go and yeah, I don't have like, any money. I'm, have to... I, I'm not going to burn this bridge here, mm. but like, dude, I'm good on this. Like, mm. don't, don't, don't approach me with this nonsense. Right. So Stephen, he's super uncomfortable and he talks about on stand just how uncomfortable he is. And and what's really cool is that this is one of the, you can actually see some of, if you go to court TV, you can pull some of this old archive footage. Because Stephen then talks about how he was so uncomfortable that he called one of his friends and asked them to give him a gun. And he he put that gun under his pillow because he was just like, you know, if this, if this dude ever approaches me again. Right, it's on and popping. You know, so he wanted to feel safe. But the bishop, he don't stop making a move toward Stephen. Stephen. He don't. He keeps moving. He he offers a discounted rate, uh, to, you know, if if you have t to rent the basement because he was paying to stay there. But he was like, I'll, I'll let you, you know, take a discounted rate if you just, you know, go and let me perform a sexual act, a sexual act on you. Right. Right. And then he's like, you know, he keeps entice He keeps going and enticing him he's like listen like just close your eyes you won't even know it's a male like you won't know all you know is what you feel this is the bishop <laughs> it's, just, so, it's so out of pocket it is so out of pocket but steven said he would constantly turn him down no matter what and he made it clear to him that it was not gonna happen like this is just not gonna happen so the police based on this testimony you know because they have this is what he testifies at trial but of course just so you guys always know, the testimony that comes out at trial is you never have these. It's very rare to ever have these peri 
Perry Mason moments where it's like, I didn't know he was going to say that. Not only did the the prosecution know he was going to say it, the defense knew he was going to say it because you, you that's what depositions are. You take you take a person's deposition so you know what they're going to how they're going to testify. So, based on this testimony, the police were able to link a second phone from the church to the bishop. So remember Steph telling you about how Darren reported to the police that he was getting all these harassing phone calls from a blocked number. His tires got slashed and then his girlfriend was getting harassing phone calls and then her tires got slashed. Well, they were able to trace that blocked number to a second phone at the church from the bishop. The bishop called this the fun phone. And this is the phone where he would solicit sexual acts from people, men, on the church's second phone. And he would also call and start harassing Stephen as well as his girlfriend. The police believe that the the bishop was trying to, to do everything that he could to thwart the relationship with these other women. That see, he, got, he became so obsessed with Stephen and wanting to be with Stephen and to do things on Stephen that he would get jealous of these relationships that Stephen was having. He got jealous of his relationship with his girl girlfriend. So he started to ha- make harassing phone calls to the girlfriend in hopes that she would link it to, to him and want to stop being around Stephen. Right. And so this is also why the police believe that he killed Latrice because she was the one in the way of the relationship that he wanted with Stephen. So the police believe that Latrice left the Bishop's house that night after engaging in sex with Stephen. Remember the night that the condom got stuck? Well, she gets in her car, she leaves. Remember, she's headed home. And the Bishop, he follows her. She pulled over. The the police believe that she pulled over because she was trying to get the condom out before she got home with her husband. And then the bishop pulls over behind her and he takes advantage of the situation. He probably approached her, probably put charm on like, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? Do you need my help? He gets in the car and stabs her, get this, 30 to 40 times in her neck, head, and torso. And then drags her body down the road. What? Yes. So the jury finds Robert Reeves guilty of first degree murder and he is sentenced to life in prison. Takeaway. So secrets can lead to murder in various ways as the stress and anxiety caused by keeping a secret can lead to mental health issues, which may in turn drive individuals to commit violent acts. Additionally, Leading a double life can result in extreme consequences leading to murder due to fear of exposure. Furthermore, secrets can be used as motives for murder in stories like murder mysteries where individuals may result to killing to protect their secrets. But in the case of Latrice Curtis, the influence of secrets on murder becomes evidence as her tragic demise was linked to the revelation of a deeply held secret. I mean, Latrice had her own secret, right? She was trying to protect the secret of her affair. And unfortunately, no one should ever be killed because of an affair. But she didn't know about the guy in the background. Robert. I mean, she had no idea that Bishop Robert was lurking after and jealous of her affair with Stephen. But that's just the thing. Like, you never know who is lurking in the background. And that by no means is a reason for Latrice to die. And that is so unfortunate. And that's the thing about murder. You just never know who is lurking in the background. And you have to be also careful and I hate that Latrice's life was cut short as a result of this murder but I don't want to have that be the sole purpose of my takeaway today I know that secrets is so damaging but I do want to focus on the takeaway surrounding molestation and rape 
and that power dynamic that exists within men. I think far too often we don't talk about the molestation and the power dynamic that exists within the community within men. Like we talk about it a lot as it surrounds women. And I think we become more comfortable, especially within the Me Too movement to have that discussion. And I think that's that's a good thing. Like I'm so happy that we can have that conversation about how, you know, men have, you know, have made it so hard for women and they have molested us and they have used their power against us and, and, and they've made it tough in all of the industries for us, for women, for women of color, so on and so forth. But the truth of the matter is, is that men have it hard too, right? And when they do come forward, we make it, we laugh them out of rooms, we don't care. And I had a conversation with my husband this past week. We talked about um, Michael Jackson. I'm just going to say his name. We talked about Michael Jackson. And I happen to believe that Michael Jackson um, did some things he had no business doing. And I still believe that he is one of the best entertainers and uh, is a genius in his own right because all can be true. And my husband and I were talking and he was saying, you know, let's just face it. People don't care about men being raped. People don't care about men being molested. And society does not care. And I said, you're right. But I care. I care just as much as I want my daughters to be protected. I want my son to be protected. I want my nephews to be protected as well. And so when I hear stories about Stephen who really was violated by a person in a position of power. It angers me because he felt like he couldn't leave. And by him feeling like he couldn't leave, he put Latrice in danger. You know what I'm saying? And so I think we have to have more of these conversations on our platform and be able to say, how can we... um, protect our black men how can we protect men in general not just black men how can we protect men in general and make it safe for them to speak up when they do get raped because they get raped they get molested just like we do as well so you know and that that those are secrets right he didn't feel comfortable talking about that but I think it was probably so empowering for him to get up there on that stand and say that so that's my takeaway let me know what you think about that in the comments, MD. Listen, that takeaway was so amazing. I, I honestly, I'm, if you could see me right now, Steph would tell you, I'm sitting here just nodding my head like, yep, yep, it, it, because it is so on point. And, and I think that we're trying to shift. We are trying to make that shift, you know, with men like Christian Keys coming out and saying, hey, yeah, you know, this has happened to me. Uh, we're trying to, but I, I don't think we're there. And so we have to fight for our men to have voices to be just like, because there was a day where women couldn't come forward, didn't feel like they could come forward. There was not not too long ago a time. I mean, I feel like I was, I was growing up. I remember being in high school, knowing that women wouldn't come forward. And I remember the ads of tell, you got to come forward, tell, you know, tell the truth, come forward, share your story. I remember that push to get women to talk. And so now we need to create that same space for men to feel that comfort because he absolutely was violated and he absolutely was abused by a person in a position of power. So I don't have another takeaway. That was just so great. I don't think that we need another one. Drop the mic. All right. So MD and I are going to be recording. So this is for for the people who are, if you're thinking about, you know, joining our paid subscription behind the paywall, we are going to be talking about the infamous, what is her name, MD? Risa Tisa. Who Re- the did I marry? Who the did I marry? Her 52-part, MD and I are going to be giving our honest review about Risa Tisa. 
So we're going to be recording that. It is going on our paid subscription live on Thursday. So you're going to hear this on our pay on our free platform. And then behind the paywall, you're going to hear this as well. So if you've been thinking about our paid subscription, this is a good time to join. And also, I want to remind you that Apple Podcasts is a good place to start. The reason being is that we have a free trial for three days. And if you just want to really kind of get to know MD&I's personality outside of the podcast, if you really want to laugh and kiki, if you really think you are girlfriends for real, for real, our friends for real, for real inside your head, I'm telling you, come listen to us talk about Risa Tisa or whatever her name is. It's Risa Tisa. <laughs> come on, Risa. Because <laughs> we go, we go really get into it, y'all. I promise you, it's going to be one for the books, one you're not going to want to forget. Plus, we have at least 20 plus episodes of true crime um, episodes that you can just listen to us talk about, you know, additional true crime episodes if you just want more content that is a place you can get more content. And we're going to be adding new bonus content on there. That's just not true crime, right? Right. That's it's not a, just true crime. And there may even be bonus content that is true crime, but not just true crime in the black community. So it may it may be, it may not be murder. It may be just a true crime thing that happened and it didn't end in murder, but it's still a good tr- true crime story that we'll tell. So you're going to get a lot more fun content in the paid subscription and we're trying to make it worthy of your coins right so right right, join us behind the paywall right behind the paywall that's where that's where you'll find more from us but let's go ahead quickly and get into our poll and then we will see you guys next week so md i asked them a question that had nothing to do with our true crime episode last week which those are the ones that i really really love And I will let you participate. And so I'm going to ask you to reserve your answer. Hold your answer until I finish. But I asked them, what is the best Super Bowl performance? So you go ahead and think about that. The options are Prince and FAMU, Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson plus Usher, Coldplay, Beyonce, and Bruno Mars, Beyonce, Dr. Dre plus. Now, this is what you guys chose. The winner was, can you guess, MD? I'm assuming they're going to say Beyonce. It was Usher, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go, Usher. It was Usher, baby. Let's go. 20% of you said Usher, and the second most was, actually, I lied. I lied, y'all. It was just by a little bit. 23% of you said Michael Jackson. Hey! So, I guess I can't be too surprised. Michael Jackson and then the second runner-up was Usher. And that is the order that I would put it in. So, to answer the question, I think you just... Michael Jackson's performance, and if you haven't seen it, because maybe you weren't... You don't remember, or you weren't born. Whatever the case may be, go back, look it up. Go on YouTube, look up Michael Jackson's performance. I had my kids watch it because we kept telling them they think that Usher had the best Super Bowl performance because he is. He's the best that they've ever seen, for sure. And so I showed them Michael's. It's just so iconic. I mean, whenever me and your husband, we were talking stuff, and whenever you can just pop up on the stage and sit there for like two, three minutes and not say a word and people screaming and fainting and going crazy, I mean, the level of that's pandemonium. Just, that is just, but I just think that Michael just, I don't think he can be beat. I, it's almost fair to put him in the category. I think you got to take him out and then say, outside of Michael, who would you rank? That's what a lot of people say. That's what a lot of people say. Well, I thank you guys for participating in that poll. And please continue to share if you care this episode with friends and family. Until next time, friends, this is Murder in the Black. Y'all know what I'm going to say. Until next time, I love you. Bye.